I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed. It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm Toby Leary, your host. Uh, The show is sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. Make sure you tune in each and every week over at rapidfireradio.us. You can sign up to be notified when we go live because there's days like today where we don't go live during our regular uh, slotted time of Wednesday at 4 p.m., uh, today's Thursday at 4 p.m. And if you're listening to the uh, live radio, I mean the radio airing of this, it's most likely on the following weekend. So um, you want to stay as up to date as possible. Go to rapidfireradio.us and get signed up so you get an email or an alert anytime we go live. Also, please like and subscribe wherever you consume your social media uh, to at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio. We'd love to have you give us a like, a subscribe, a follow, and a share, and uh, comment. Comment. All that helps defeat the evil algorithm. So anyway, uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in every week. And uh, go over to rapidfireradio.us for all of our content. If you miss an episode, you can you can see the past episodes, listen to uh, some of our interviews with some outstanding guests we've had on the show in the past, and... Uh, you can also uh, give us a call on the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. Today's poll question of the day is, it's not up yet, but it will be momentarily, is should there be a background check for every gun purchase, including gun shows and private sales? Um that's a good question for our listening audience because I'm told all the time by the media that the majority of gun owners want universal background checks and they want stricter gun control measures such as banning high-capacity magazines and assault weapons, quote-unquote. They're telling me that the 100 million gun owners out there want these things. The majority of them want them. And if you don't want them, you're in the vast minority. So we figured we'd poll our audience, which is largely gun people or uh, at least sympathetic to the cause. Maybe you don't own guns yet or you're exploring whether guns are right for you. But So anyway, you'll be able to go over to Twitter uh, and type in Rapid Fire Radio and you'll see the poll question. Should there be a background check for every gun purchase? Yes or no? It's a very simple poll. And uh, so you can also go to rapidfireradio.us and find our poll as well. So um, before the show started, I was talking a little bit about this. a lot of these recent shootings that have been in the uh, news, just strange and random and weird shootings where 
uh, you know, someone gets in the wrong car and then gets back out and, and they end up getting shot. Uh, this girl, you know, uh, and then a, a person who pulls down the wrong driveway gets shot for pulling down the wrong driveway or somebody knocks on the wrong door gets shot. So uh, this is a very interesting dynamic to me because you don't hear about this kind of stuff often. Um, occasionally you'll hear somebody who takes a stand your ground a little too extreme if you ask me. Um, but that's not, th- th- that isn't typical. And it's just ironic to me that it's all happening at the same time as this huge push for gun control, as well as these random uh, mass shooting events. So, uh, you know, the one down in Alabama was really, really strange to me, like at a kid's birthday party and everything else. I don't, I don't understand what the, you know, if, I guess unless you're just a psycho that's trying to kill a crowd of people, that's what it sounds like to me. But anyway, it's, it's really uh, sad to, you know, that this is what precipitates the conversation of why we need to take guns away from good people. Um, but that's always the way it is, and we're always constantly fighting. Uh, we're fighting, um, you know, from our our heels, so to speak. So, uh, anyway, it's one of those one of those things that um, we've been dealing with for thirty years in the gun community. But one thing I said on the Grace Curley show, and I don't think I articulated it very well. I was in, uh, I was out of state traveling, and I was li- literally walking up a a steep hill in um, Jackson, uh, Wyoming, and uh, I was completely out of breath because the air, I was at like 10,000 feet elevation, so the air was a little thin, and uh, so if I sounded winded on the Grace Curley Show Tuesday, it's because I was, And uh, but anyway, I, I was talking about how the media is hyper-focused right now on uh, any negative outcome with a firearm. It's going to lead the news stories. It's going to lead the evening news across all the cable networks. I remember um, just driving around Jackson when I was there a few days ago, and the first five minutes of the news on the radio was, you know, the, the mass shootings and this wrong identity shootings and, and uh, you know, mishaps with guns or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There were like three or four stories before they got to any other news all about guns and and of course this all ends with uh and so and so is calling for stricter gun control so and so is calling for you know higher um scrutiny or you know universal background checks etc cetera, etc cetera. so it it really is um interesting how the media is taking it and running with it to further the gun control narrative and it's it's really sad that it always ends up in the lap of the people who aren't responsible i tried to articulate this on tuesday as well when i was with grace curley that um that i feel that the blood is on the hands of politicians who are soft on crime uh whether it be a mayor whether it be a attorney general or a district attorney who by the way they are the chief prosecutor in the state or cities that they represent. And their job is to prosecute crime. And heaven forbid they actually do that 
because what they end up doing is creating these revolving door justice systems where people aren't uh, held accountable for their crime in a very strict and stringent way. And I think that's what produces these negative outcomes with firearms is no one has a fear of going away. No one has a fear of getting arrested. No one has a fear of, you know, being thrown in jail for a long period of time. And you know what? There is a certain uh, level of desensitization of uh, of this type of crime. Like, I, you know, and I'm a consumer of it myself. You watch a show, like even take Yellowstone, the most popular show in America. And uh, I like it. You know, it's it's got some really good... Um, character cast and everything else but how they solve a trespassing thing always ends in a gunfight you know you got a bunch of biker dudes drinking some beers on the property so they got to show up and next thing you know guns come out and then they you know it ultimately it didn't end in anyone dying but still it's like everybody's pointing a gun at each other and i'm like that doesn't need to happen like you don't need to escalate everything to where the guns have to be drawn and that just seems to be how a lot of people are tightly wound these days and i'm not i don't think that's the real america right i don't like you draw a gun on someone your life just changed forever it's not like we go to a commercial break and then come back in the next scene and you're having dinner with your family that did that doesn't happen so anyway um we have exciting new pistol training classes pistol one is our basic class pistol two continues to build on basic skills pistol three you're going to be drawn from the holster and pistol four is where you put it all together it's a great foundational class one through four and uh go to the capegunworks.com website to check the calendar and sign up for these classes mondays every mondays and ladies only versions on saturdays we will be right back you're listening to rapid fire i'm toby Hill. Firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. Thank you for joining us each and every week, and don't forget to vote in our poll over at Twitter or at rapidfireradio.us. It is, um, should there be basically universal background checks? Should there be background checks for every gun purchase in America not just through an FFL. We're talking private sales. We're talking gun shows. Um, and by the way, this 
Twitter poll is brought to you by ChatGPT. <laughs> I asked the the alien artificial intelligence, the future destroyer of humanity, what they would say, you know, what, what a good poll question today would be on the show. And that's what it came up with. And I said, yeah, actually, that's a good idea. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I hope it's not the future destroyer of America, uh, of all mankind. But um, uh, I guess depending on who you ask, uh, you get all different um, responses to that. And I guess I missed Tucker Carlson's uh, show the other night where he had Elon Musk on, but Brendan said it was uh, really good. Hey, I'm typing in Rapid Fire Radio on Twitter and nothing's happening. I hope my Twitter page didn't get... Oh, there it is. I just had to refresh. Okay. So um, let's see. Right now we're trending at 100%. People say no. There should not be background checks for every gun purchase, even private sales. Um, Which is good because that's, well, good to me. I actually don't think there should be background checks at FFLs. (laughs) But uh, that's neither here nor there. Because really, think about it for a second. What difference does it really make? I know I sound like a a, uh, politician when I say that. A very famous one who was being grilled by Congress. But... When you have the shooter who, uh, the last four or five mass shooters from Parkland, Uvalde, um, Nashville, they all passed the background check, right? So, okay, we didn't solve anything there, even though background checks were the thing that were going to make everybody safe. So guess what? They didn't. They didn't make anyone safe in those situations. But guess what they do? They hinder the free exercise of our right to keep and bear arms. And people say, well, you got to put, you know, you, you might just have to have a little inconvenience to make us all safe. Well, number one, it's a right, not a privilege. So I disagree with the fact that I should be inconvenienced in any way, shape, or form from exercising my right to keep and bear arms. Number two, um, It's not making us safe. Like, I'd almost go along with it if you could guarantee that people who have evil intent in their heart to do children harm could never buy a gun. But that's impossible. And the only, we all know what, you know, even if you were to say, if everybody finally bought into the mom's demand action lie and said, if it would save just one life, wouldn't you do it? So if, if I was willing to agree to, on that premise and say, all right, guys, we're going to bang our ARs into, into shovels and we're going to, you know, plow our, we're going to bang our swords into plowshares as the, as the scriptures say, which isn't going to happen, by the way, until uh, after all hell breaks loose on earth. But if, if we all agreed to do that, guess who doesn't agree to do that? The people who are evil and criminally minded and psychopathic, you know, whack jobs, they're never going to do that. They're going to be like, sweet, target-rich environment. I can go prey on the people and no one can fight back. This is wonderful. And before you know it, it looks like Chicago. Um, so, or worse. 
So that is never going to be the answer. So why are we continuing to restrict the people who we don't need to worry about? You could say, well, you know, you know, background checks do catch people who shouldn't be buying guns. Okay. Yeah, I would say on average, we probably get, I don't know, maybe 10 denials a year at Cape Gunworks. I think that's a fair number to say. Probably 10 denies. And a lot of times these people have license to carry. They've been issued one through the state. Um, But for some reason, they're a prohibited person federally. Um, And in some cases, it's people who had a problem like 40 years ago. And they're, they're not a problem anymore. So, you know, you know, I just don't get the, the point of inconveniencing 100 million people for the 10 per year at my particular gun store. And I'm sure that average is pretty consistent throughout the country. Uh, and frankly, what the feds do with that information when there's a denial, I know they just changed it and now they can be investigated and all this stuff. But states like Massachusetts actually had to pass a law that said, we're going to force our police departments and our law enforcement agencies to report to the federal government whenever there's someone who's a prohibited person tries to buy a gun. And it's like, why do we need to pass a law for that? That should be done anyway. That should be automatic. Well, the point is, they weren't doing it. And so now they pass a law that says they're, they have to do it, and they still don't even do it, and no one holds them accountable. I mean, there are, there are law enforcement agencies that do report. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, I got accused the other day of trying to make all cops sound like idiots, and I'm like, I don't think that's ever been the point of anything I've ever said. I honestly think police are asked to do way too much. Right now, they're they're basically therapists, they're social workers, they're, uh, you know, loitering uh, experts. They're they're put to the test test every single day, um, and uh, you know it's it's really just a an unfortunate situation that they're put in now that you know they're dealing with mental health crisis every day. They're dealing with um, the drug and fentanyl overdoses every day. They're dealing with, um, you know, some of the worst of the worst in our society day in, day out, and oftentimes week in, week out, because they're arresting the same people. And DAs and AGs and mayors are letting them right back out on the street. And uh, that's that's a terrible, terrible, um, you know, it's very demoralizing for our police. But anyway... um, Tell us what you think. Call or text 508-444-2120. If you want to be on the show or you want to uh, drop us a text, you can do that as well. It's 508-444-2120. And we have a winner. Winner RC. Look for an email from us for the Cape Gunworks $25 gift card. And because I didn't get real creative this week, we're going to just do another $25 gift card this week. So that's going to be... uh, that's going to be the gift giveaway uh, on. So go to rapidfireradio.us, scroll down, and sign up to win because you could be a winner. And it doesn't translate into a chicken dinner, but you can get something cool at Cape Gunworks. By the way, what do you think of the new hats? Oh, that's what we should have done. 
I just got some new hats. Yeah, you know what? I can change it. I, I, I changed my mind. It's almost the same value anyway. I'll give you one of the, the winner of this week's giveaway. We'll get one of these wicked cool new Cape Gunworks hats. And uh, it's, it's a mesh back. Probably one of the most comfortable hats I've ever worn, by the way. If I do say so myself. I know I sound like I'm bragging, but I'm not. <laughs> so anyway, how about that? We'll give away one of the new Cape Gunworks hats to the winner. So go to rapidfireradio.us and sign up to win. We'll pull the winner on next week's show. And this week, the code for those of you following along and playing from home is TARGET. So if you want to get a special savings off your entire online purchase, the code is TARGET. And just keep that between us. That's only for our radio and podcast listeners. So uh, anyway, uh, Aaron's saying I should do both. The gift card and the hat. Jeez. Got to leave something for next week, Aaron. <laughs> uh, maybe we will one of these days. Um, I'm not trying to be cheap, but I think that would be uh Maybe we'll do that like once a month. We'll have the mega play and win giveaway. <laughs> play to win giveaway or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, we're way off topic. <laughs> but go to vote in the poll. This week's code is Target, and sign up and win. How's that for a trifecta? All right, let's get back. Let's get to the chat a little bit. Um, Euro Thrasher says, I was on the phone with his brother who lives in Georgia, and he says they sell ammo out of vending machines there. And in mass, we can't even purchase a Glock from a dealer. I know. I know. Let's all hope and pray that changes. Um, oh, I know. My. I know that... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a little bit of a win in the Firearms Policy Coalition case that heard oral arguments in this case. So in other words, district courts threw out their lawsuit and they appealed to the uh, the First Circuit Court of Appeals and they ruled based on the Bruin decision that in light of Bruin, uh, they have to hear this case. They can't rely on the intermediate scrutiny of, you know, that two-step process that they've used historically and thrown out this case because it's been upheld by lower courts before. Now they got to look at it in light of Bruin. So that's good. It's going to go to district court first. I'm sure it'll be appealed to the First Circuit, and then I'm sure it'll be appealed to the Supreme Court no matter which side wins. So uh, that'll be interesting. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, But keep our fingers crossed that that roster will go away someday. All right, guys, the ever-popular pepper spray class is back. This class is for people that want to learn alternatives to lethal defense. In the class, you can actually dispense water-based practice units, plus you will learn all the facets of non-lethal defense. So go to capegunworks.com and click on a class on the classes to sign up today. And we will be right back. I'm Toby Leary, and this is Rapid Fire. hard to leave shots like these to chance now you never have to compromise performance again federal premium heavy bismuth hits ducks and upland birds with 9.6 gram per cubic centimeter pellets sourced from heavy shot 22 percent denser than steel more energy downrange launched by the flight control flex wad heavy bismuth patterns consistently and is safe in all shotguns loaded in the usa by federal ammunition 
Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And we're we're talking to you. You're you're typing in on the on the chat and comments, and also talking news of the day. Um, one thing that's interesting is if the show had happened yesterday as scheduled, it would have been on the anniversary of the shot heard around the world, which was the kickoff to the. Revolutionary War, Battles of Concord and Lexington, and we're here today partaking in the fruits of our la- the labors of our founders who developed and with great uh, minds of incredibly brilliant men scripted the most beautiful document in the world as it, as it relates to the formation of a new country the Declaration of Independence, and um, the U.S. Constitution and the, the Bill of Rights are all part of that comprehensive uh, founding documents. And it is so eloquently and artfully and masterfully written, and not to mention beautifully written uh, by the hand of artisans, if you ask me. I mean, it, the script of the day was just incredible, the penmanship and uh, but the words that it holds is what, I mean, it makes you so proud as an American to, to read it and to uh, feel like our founders put immense trust into the people. And they said, this is a government of the people, for the people, and by the people to prevent tyranny from ever raising its ugly head again and lording itself over the masses and creating a two-tiered justice system and creating rules for thee and not for me and creating uh, horribly horrible taxation without representation and you know recognizing that free people are a peaceful and civil society when they're left alone but oh, thank you here we go uh, <laughs> from sea to shining sea, can I get an amen out there? <laughs> um, <laughs> very funny. So anyway, uh, what I'm what I'm trying to say is, uh, we didn't have the show yesterday. We were going to talk a lot about that. But guess what? Kicked off that whole party was when a tyrannical government said. You know what? You guys can't have guns anymore. You can't have powder. You can't have your primers. You can't have shot. And we're coming to get them with armed people coming to get them. It was basically the early ATF agents, the English version of the ATF. They were on their way to shoot the dog and take the guns. And guess what happened? Well, the colonists didn't like it, right? And so they, they fought back and that kicked off, you know, the war that created the greatest country in the history of the world. And uh, so I say all that to say this. It's kind of sad to see what has happened in the past 250 years of freedom to see how people are quickly embracing tyranny again. And they're saying nobody should have an AR-15. Nobody should have a, you know, uh, an assault weapon. This is just too much firepower for our civilian population. Only government should have have that. Speaking of which, I was reading about this day in history yesterday. Um, 
And there was a massacre by government on coal miners in in like 1912 on this day. And they were there to protest uh, some horrible working conditions or whatever, and they were picketing the, the coal mines. And the National Guard descended on them and slaughtered a bunch of them. And now we hear people today say, nobody but the military should have these type of weapons. I think uh, another interesting thing is um, Governor Murphy of New Jersey put out a tweet, uh, I guess it was a couple days ago, on the 80th anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, when courageous, this is his tweet, courageous Jewish resistance fought back against their Nazi occupiers in a final act to refuse deportation of death camps. We remember these brave souls and their eternal message to always stand up to evil. Well, it's kind of hard to do if you've been disarmed, Governor Murphy. And Yehuda Reimer, the pew-pew Jew, took him to task on that as well and uh, said, um, you restrict your state with their 2A rights. Stop pandering. You don't really care. You truly are pathetic. Uh, So I thought that was a great response to that um, because he, you know, here he is on one hand trying to disarm people and he he passed a horrible bill um, making it harder for people to exercise the right to keep and bear arms and also the right to, uh, the right to um, purchase a gun. They made it extremely difficult and also to carry one. And uh, so, you know, it said John Petrolini on Bearing Arms wrote a good article about it, and he, he goes on to say uh, uh, he reached out to Yehuda Raymer uh, and he said, um, yesterday, Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey tweeted a message to, of remembrance that marked the 80th anniversary of the beginning of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. His message, although seemingly sincere, was nothing more than pandering to the Jews of the world. This is a governor who has enacted strict gun control in his state, severely restricting the citizens of New Jersey of their God-given right to self-defense. Such a control freak should keep his mouth shut about the courageous Jews, uh, Jewish resistance who fought back against their Nazi occupiers. His tone-deaf tweet praising armed resistance against tyranny and then enacting more gun control so tyranny can prevail shows his hypocritical and true political leanings. The people of New Jersey, Jews and non-Jews alike, should do everything in their power to fight back against Governor Murphy's tyranny. Remember, never again means nothing if you are not willing to do something about it. Yehuda Raymer, the pew-pew Jew on Governor Phil Murphy. Um, so I think that's extremely uh, telling of, of what the, you know, the governor says and does. He, he says one thing, but he means another. He wants you unarmed, but yet he wants to, you know, applaud the courageous people who were disarmed by their governments before being ordered onto cattle cars. And by the way, that wasn't that long ago. You know what I mean? Like the whole generation that just fought that evil is dying off or is just about died off at this point. That wasn't that long ago. It was our grandparents and our great-grandparents. Uh, and in some cases, our fathers. So, uh, depending on how old you are, and so that wasn't long ago, and it was able to happen in our generation. And 
So it's not something we read about in history that happened two or three hundred years ago. So anyway, um, so let me know what you think. Give us a call, 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. Don't forget about the poll question over on uh, Twitter. Is Should background checks be mandatory for all gun purchases, including private sales and gun shows? Uh, you can go to twitter.com uh, or rapidfireradio.us and vote. And I'm going to see what the poll is up to now. And we have um, we have 91% say yes. I'm sorry, say no. And 8.3% say yes. There should be um, background checks for every gun purchase, even private sales. So, um, yeah. Go ahead and vote in our poll. And we have uh, Frank on the on the phone right now. Go ahead, Frank. Hi. Hi. How you doing? Very good. I, I just called to ask. Uh, now, Toby, you run a great place. I, I'm a member there, and uh, I listen in when I can. Um, I just saw a news flash here. It says Alec Baldwin was, charges have been dropped because evidence shows that the gun may have discharged without the trigger being pulled. Hmm. And I know you're not you know, an expert on this stuff, but yeah, I'm just curious. What do you, what do you think of that? I mean, is that, is that possible? I mean, I mean, I don't know. What's your, what's your take on that based on what you know is, is an outsider like I am? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I saw that he had, the charges had been dropped too. Uh, and I don't understand how involuntary manslaughter can be dropped when, uh, even if there was a, uh, a malfunction with the gun that caused it to go off, which I'd be extremely surprised. He's cocking and pointing a loaded gun at Hala Hutchins' camera. I don't know if he knew it was loaded or not, but that's what he's doing. So he's cocking the hammer back and pointing the gun at the camera and it's loaded and there's a girl on the other side of the camera. That to me is negligence. So even if the gun went off by itself, I don't understand how there isn't some sort of negligence um, there, but they dropped the the charges. So um, I don't know. Uh, it's, It's crazy to me. I know what would happen if you or I, Frank, did it. You, 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 exactly. You know, I didn't want to get too, too political. This is what we do to air out our political uh, feelings. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's, there's different rules for different people. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, right from the beginning, they had him up in, in Vermont and New Hampshire overnight. They got him out of the jurisdiction to find out, my opinion, what was known, what was not known. Right. And uh, we've got a lot of people working on this, uh, almost like a real Ray Donovan kind of thing. Maybe, but I just couldn't understand mechanically how a revolver could go off by itself. That's what it was. Yeah, and it's a single action revolver, so that's what I mean. You got to pull the hammer back and cock it in order for it to go off. So whether or not his finger hit the trigger or it just the hammer fell, I don't know. But it's really rare that a gun would malfunction to the point where you don't have to pull the trigger to get the hammer to fall. especially that type of gun. So um, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait for more details to come out. Um, but thanks for the call, Frank. That was an uh, excellent point. And uh, 
Just a reminder, it's back. We have another AR-15 build class. Believe it or not, there's still some room, and it's only a couple weeks away. This class always sells out. So you build your own gun from start to finish. We provide you with a fixed mag lower and all the parts to do it and the instructional uh, wherewithal, and we'll guide you through the whole thing. Go to capegunworks.com and click on the class calendar to sign up today. I appreciate you guys. We'll be right back. This is Rapid Fire. A firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And let's talk about guns. Uh, This is the segment of the show where we do that. And this week's Gun of the Week is a SIG MCX Spear LT. It's the very first one we have got in the shop, and it happens to be a little short on one end. (laughs) So for those of you in the know would know what that means. It is an SBR which stands for short-barreled rifle. I believe it's an 11.5-inch barrel. Um, and these are super cool. I've been dying to get my hands on uh, one of the new Spear LTs, and we finally got one. So, uh, And this one happens to be chambered in 7.62 by 39. It's a uh, multi-caliber lower, so you can actually convert this gun to 300 blackout or 5.56. Five, um, but this one is in 7.62 by 39. It's got a great... Um, one of the best ambidextrous, uh, did I say that right? Ambidextrous, ambidextrous, I get taken a task on that. Ambidextrous, ambidextrous, I'm going with that. Uh, (laughs) ambidextrous, uh, bolt catches that I've seen. It's all ambi. Uh, so the safety, the mag release and the bolt catch are all ambi, but the, the ambi bolt catch is kind of cool. It's a lever under the dust cover. <clears throat> so if you push it down, it sends the bolt forward. Or if you push up as you do the charging handle, it'll lock the bolt back. So I think that's cool because one of the things about the AR-15 platform, not that this is one, it's very similar, uh, but it's not, um, is the awkwardness of locking the bolt back. And they kind of solved that with this gun. Uh, I'm pretty impressed with it. And uh, so... This is, um, they've shaved off some weight of, of the MCX, and also they tapered the handguard a little bit, kind of like a trapezoid at the top, 
of the handguard where they taper it into the Picatinny rail on top. So it gives a little bit uh, more pleasant handhold as you're uh, holding out on the handguard with your support hand. It's got a nice slightly curved bow trigger. Uh, it's got ambi um, sling swivels nestled right into the back of the receiver uh, like the first gen and second gen had. And uh, it's an M-lock handguard, so you can put Picatinny rail wherever you need to. Um, if this was purchased in Massachusetts, we would have to pin the stock and pin and weld a muzzle brake on there and take off the evil three-prong flash hider because those are uh, evil items, as Diane Feinstein Stein liked to call them, uh, those military-style assault features. But one big change that the spear did from the Gen 2 um, the Gen 2 MCX is it's a fixed stock now for length of pull. It doesn't adjust the length of pull at all. Um, it still folds in this case, you know, in this state would have to pin and weld it, um, which we do uh, for any of these that are sold. Uh, but it's a uh, fixed length of pull where the other versions had the um, adjustable length of pull, which didn't do us any good in Massachusetts. But uh, it's an all aluminum uh stock which i really like shaves off some weight and it also has the qd sling swivels in the stock itself so you have them in the stock in the receiver and then of course you can add them wherever you want on the pick rail up front so if you want to make it a two-point sling you can do that so uh yeah this will be a good one uh you could be the first one to have a spear lt from cape gunworks if you're interested you can we'll get it up on the web it's not up there right now but we'll get it up on the web and you'll you get a special deal. Now, the way you buy an SBR in this state is you buy the gun and then you apply for the tax stamp. So it takes a few uh, months usually before you don't get the instant gratification of buying a gun and leaving with it the same day because because tyranny, because government regulations, because obviously that 11 and a half inch barrel by shaving four and a half inches off the barrel, um, you make this gun utterly lethal dangerous it's now got to be regulated by our federal government they need a 200 hundred dollar tax stamp and they got to know everything about it know who's buying it and do fingerprint cards and all that stuff because the constitution isn't good enough uh for tyranny but anyway that's the process of doing it uh the the thing that's really cool about it though is um if you if you want it uh you can put do barrel change conversions on these real easy you just pop the front pin, the handguard slides off. There's two screws on the side of the gun, um, and you can take the barrel out and change to 5.56 or 300 blackout. So um, you're not stuck with 7.62 by 39. Uh, the one drawback to the 7.62 by 39 is uh, the fact that there are pre band mags, but they're few and far between, and they're a lot harder to get than the standard uh, 5.56. So, anyway, there you have it. Um, the SIG MCX Spear LT. It is the civilian version of the new military uh, battle weapon, the light battle weapon. And uh, there's obviously is an assault weapon because it goes bang, 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 bang with one press of the trigger. This one is semi-automatic, but um, it's a pretty cool gun. And it's this week's gun of the week. So check it out. We'll have it up on the web. And uh, you can use GOW. Uh, if you go to rapidfireradio.us and use G-O-W for the code, you'll get a special deal on this gun. All right, and we will be right back. I appreciate you listening. This is Rapid Fire. Rapid Fire.
Defense Network. For years, we've been the internet's leading destination for high-quality information on equipment, training, and your preparation for personal or home defense. Our videos are meant for those who are serious about enhancing their ability to use efficient techniques to survive a dynamic critical incident. But now we've stepped things up even higher. We've added hours of high-quality training videos just for our premium members. This content takes the body of work that is the Personal Defense Network up to an even higher level. Our goal with the Personal Defense Network is simple. Provide you with the highest quality video learning tips that are available. You'll find them inside of the premium membership. All you have to do is choose how to get started, and I'll see you on the inside. Welcome back. Rapid Fire, uh, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And G23 is breaking the news that Nebraska became the 27th state to get constitutional carry or permitless carry. And um, that's exciting. Um, I was not aware of that. So uh, uh, Inslee will sign it at around 2.30 or was supposed to sign it. So anyway, that's really good news. Um, going back to what I said earlier in the show, uh, I just wanted to complete the thought about the history. With these last two days is is very interesting history. We had um, the shot heard around the world and that massacre by the government, you know, by the National Guard, and uh, we also had um, Waco and the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, that was a you know his, historic event that happened yesterday as well. But one thing that we uh, uh, we also uh, wanted to mention was today is the twenty uh, fourth anniversary of Columbine, which is uh, the very first like big time uh, mass shooting event in school uh, that happened. And one thing that's never talked about is that the two shooters picked that day because it was Adolf Hitler's birthday. Uh, 420 was Adolf Hitler's birthday. So um, they don't they don't generally talk about that in the media and the news too much. And there's a whole bunch of backstory to that um, that was... Um, that goes along with that that you, you could read up on. But uh, a terrible, dark day in history. And uh, unfortunately, we learned nothing about, I wouldn't say nothing. Uh, we've learned very little on how to actually stop that from ever happening again. It should have never happened again after that day. But we're still having this conversation week in, week out. And uh, Pete, we got Pete on the line. So go ahead, Pete. You're next on Rapid Fire. How are you? Hey, I'm not doing too bad. How are you doing today, sir? Doing great, thanks. Uh, yeah, I um, I'm a, I'm a gun owner here. I live uh, out in Florida, Homestead, Florida. So, a uh, responsible gun owner. Many years I've had. Uh, I have a number of firearms. Um, I have a handgun Beretta, a 92 FS that I really enjoy uh, firing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, I'm just a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a gun guy, 
But first, I'm a responsible human being, and I think that nowadays in the, in the media, there's too much uh, discussion about you know irresponsibility with gun use, and they don't really focus enough on people like you and I, responsible gun owners. Yeah, um, you're 100% right, and I think the vast majority of gun owners are responsible. Um, there are some people yeah. that it takes a little while to educate and get on the on the responsibility wagon of you know learning how to safely use and maintain and and uh, efficiently use a firearm and if you're going to use it for self defense getting a class and in the safe and efficient use of how to respond with a firearm and storage yeah storage as well Absolutely. like I um I got mine right here I keep it in this bag here always um, you know I have my gun storage and everything but I have this area here where I keep this one you know if I need it. This is my for use gun, and it's always in this. Hang on one second. <laughs> hang on, this is my um, this is my daughter's lunch in this bag. Oh no! I in your oh, gun bag? Oh no! My gun bag's got my daughter's lunch in it, and what the heck is in my? Oh, what did oh, you take right. to school? Well, I think you you switched it up there. All right, thanks for the call, boss. Anyway. Uh, well, um, I don't even know where to go with that, but I kind of had a feeling he was a troll when, when he's saying, I'm a gun owner, I'm responsible like you, but, okay, I'm waiting for the but. Anyway, uh, you never know what what's going to be out there lurking, but thanks for the call anyway, Frank, or whatever his name was. <laughs> uh, you don't sound like... Uh, the gun owners I know. So, there you have it. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see. Um, going back to the uh, chat here, uh, I gave him as long as I could, too. Um, I will never own a 320, even if they did fix it. I won't trust it. Uh, the first-gen 320, some went off when they were dropped or hit the back of the slide right after they fixed them. Most others were negligent. Yeah, Um I agree, G23, and uh, there there are some, you know, mal- major malfunctions that can happen, but that's uh, that's the way, you know, manufacturer defects, and there's lawsuits around that. So uh, I still have a hard time believing the 320s just go off without the trigger being pulled because they are a double-action gun, so the striker is not under spring tension, so... Maybe, you know, the only way I can, if the firing pin safety is out of the way, like that's a malfunction, and then it's dropped and inertia gets the spring loaded up and the firing pin to go forward, then I guess, yeah. Like they would drop testing them with the first gen ones with those heavy trigger. And under a drop type situation, yes, I can see that with the way they were designed. And I I still don't understand why they never put the uh, trigger safety on those guns, but... It's, I'm not, my name isn't on the design or the patent. So anyway, um, do we have the VP9 SCS in stock? Yes, we do. As a matter of fact, it is in stock. I think I only have one of them, Bird Runner, and it has the red dot sight on there. So um, yes, you can own SBRs in Massachusetts, Davey. Um, so that's a, uh, that's a uh, a thing. It's a lengthy process to go through. The best way to to do it, in my opinion, 
is to actually buy the 16-inch firearm so you get the instant cat- uh, gratification of buying it and you can shoot it and everything and apply for a tax stamp. And while you're waiting for your tax stamp, you have a gun that fully functions and that you can shoot. And then once the the tax stamp comes in, you change out the barrel to the short barrel and you get the receiver engraved. And um, so it's an easier process, in my opinion. Not easier, it's just more rewarding because you actually get the gun and you can use it. Whereas if you buy a factory SBR, then you're going to be waiting. You pay for it up front and you pay the $200 tax stamp and then you wait for the feds to come back with the yes or no. And if you get the no, then then uh, what do you do? You know, now you got to negotiate your return with the gun shop. So it's, it's kind of a pain in the neck. So um, anyway, uh, let's see here. Um, get back to your chat. Uh, <laughs> everyone's commenting on the strange call. Yeah, no, it's all right. Uh, you know, I actually wish the guy would want to, um, engage in a meaningful conversation if he had done that i would have been fine Uh, i let him go so everyone could hear how he was just a troll but um anyway there you go jeff points out the 320s are safe they're on the roster right that's right i forgot about that yeah uh unlike those unsafe glocks you're 100 percent right jeff thanks to our overlords for keeping us all safe breaking news um not all holsters are reliable. You have to pay attention to the holster. Things happen and stuff can get into the holster and the holster can deform. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, you know, I've seen some video, uh, graphic video actually of people holstering a gun and the gun going off while holstering. And, uh, I I think there's usually something either in the holster or maybe a shirt or, or something that ends up in there that triggers the the trigger, if you will, as they're pushing the gun fully into the holster. We actually, uh, a teacher in the one of the groups I um, am, you know, the curriculums that I teach, uh, had a aftermarket trigger and a Glock uh, go bang during a class reholstering. And they found that it was the roll pin in the side of the trigger that holds the trigger blade safety in, uh, in the aluminum trigger. Through frequent firing in the class, that roll pin had worked its way out on the weak side of the gun, so the guy didn't feel it with his trigger finger. And as he pushed it down, it grabbed the kydex to the holster and, you know, pushed the trigger back while he was holstering and caused it to go bang. So... That can stuff like that can happen. I don't advocate aftermarket parts like that in a carry gun for that reason. I think uh, you're better off with factory uh, triggers in your guns than updating them for you know uh, because some I've seen it happen in a couple of different trigger companies, but there are a couple good ones out there that are very reliable and and uh, so if you need to upgrade your trigger, we can help you with that. But anyway, um, thanks for all the comments in the chat. It was on fire today. And uh, that's the end of the first segment. So the first hour is in the bag. And remember, the show ends here, but it actually goes on for another hour. So you'll have to tune in at rapidfireradio.us 
or call or text the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. Just go over to rapidfireradio.us and ask your questions and check out some of our online content. Freedom will always be on the right side of history, so stay tuned. And we'll see you next time. Uh, Jason Guida is going to be joining us in the next hour, so you don't want to miss it. Uh, We want you to uh, catch that great conversation. And uh, so we will be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. May your tag of a lifetime finally come through. May the snow pile up and the elk come down. May your socks always stay dry. May the herd bull finally break from the herd. And may your aim always stay true. Welcome to the next level. Welcome to the Vortex. Once you're involved in something like this, the stress level... It can tear up a family. He said he was tried in the court of public opinion before he ever stepped foot in a courtroom, but surveillance video helped shed light on what actually happened. 50-year-old Ford employee Billy Coert was charged with attempted murder for shooting his gun in the United Auto Workers 551 parking lot in June 2016. To have everything you work for taken away. Coart was suspended and then terminated from his job with Ford where he'd worked for nearly two decades. To have somebody have your back and have a company that have your back and then they put me in touch with a great attorney. That was the best feeling. Go to uscca.com to learn more about protecting yourself and your family. Alexander Hamilton said those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. This is Toby from Cape Gunworks. When our founding fathers drafted the Second Amendment, there was no question of its meaning. Today, if you have questions, come to Cape Gunworks for some advice, training, or to send a few rounds downrange. We have a fully stocked pro shop with a huge selection of guns, crossbows, archery, classes, rentals, a 15-lane range, and a friendly staff. Come on down to Cape Gunworks Airport Road, Hyannis, or capegunworks.com. For quite a long time, duck hunters have been shooting steel. But in the past few years, you've really seen a resurgence of a material called bismuth. And what bismuth is, it's got a density a lot closer to lead than steel, where, where steel's density is right around 7.8 or so, and lead's right around 11 grams per cc. Bismuth comes in about 9.6. So just to kind of lay it out for you, if you've got two objects flying at the same speed, the one that is denser at the same speed is going to hit a lot harder. So a great example is like how we're hunting today. We're out, we're out here on the, we're literally hunting a bay on the ocean. Fantastic spot. But the wind's coming in pretty hard. Normally shooting the size ducks like the Eurasian Wisions and Teals that we're shooting at today, I would probably choose to shoot like a, a number four steel. But because the wind's higher, I would maybe go to a number two because I'd get more energy and let the, let the steel carry further. Bismuth allows you to go one shot size smaller and still hit the bird just as hard as you would. Now what that allows you to do, we're shooting a number three shot today, so we're getting all the pellets of a number three load, but we're getting all the energy of a number two steel shot. So it's gonna hit harder, it's really gonna extend your range, 
still meets all the lead-free requirements everywhere you are. Just a great product, and you'll definitely notice the power that you hit the birds with. Another thing with the Federal Premium Heavy Bismuth is we're shooting a flight control wad. So you can choke that with any choke you want, whether that's ported or not. Getting incredibly tight patterns. Again, more pellets on the bird, just hits them hard. Fire, excuse me, welcome to Rapid Fire, a 2A talk radio show sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. Tune in each week at rapidfireradio.us to join the conversation. And now you can call or text the Rapid Fire line 508 444 2120. And you can like and subscribe on all of our social media pages wherever you consume your social media. You'll find us at Cape Gunworks or at Rapid Fire Radio. And you can follow along with all the great content we have there. And we're really happy to have on the second hour with us uh, attorney Jason Guida. He's a Second Amendment attorney here in Massachusetts who's doing a lot of great work for us behind enemy lines. Jason, how are you today? So good to see you. Yeah, great to see you as well. And I'll just throw the phone number out there. If you have a question, uh, you know, mass gun law related question, you can call 508-444-2120 and we'll get you on the air with Jason. Um, so whatever it is, licensing or mass gun laws or anything like that, uh, he's the man. And uh, you do a lot of um, law seminars too, right? For gun owners with the U.S. Law Shield and, yep. and whatnot, right? And so you yeah, take- so the self defense seminars and and part of that also kind of covers uh, licensing and suitability issues and kind of things that you want to avoid, mm-hmm. uh, particularly here in Massachusetts, where the police chiefs have a great deal of power over licensing. Right. Have, <clears throat> with all that being said, you know, I did a kind of a funny video. Uh, probably a year or two ago, a year and a half ago, uh, about the process of getting your license in Massachusetts. And now, since like they had to fix some stuff post-Bruin, uh, I'm getting a lot of comments on an old video like, oh, this isn't true anymore. You're just trying to make everyone look bad. And like, I'm like, well, it still kind of is true. Like 95% of what the content of this is is still true. But there, you, you just mentioned suitability, and that's the thing that they're kind of clinging to is their discretion is still there in some way that if you're not mm-hmm. a prohibited person, they can still deny you some way, shape, or okay. form. Have you been seeing that happening where they're exercising this suitability uh, to a certain Ab- extent? Absolutely. Really? Um, so shortly after Bruin, we saw the legislature uh, addressed Bruin, if you will, by removing the language around restrictions. So if you lived in, say, Boston or Brookline, um, they would issue you a license to carry, but it would only be for targeted hunting purposes. You couldn't carry on your person for self-protection. The legislature reacted, and they removed that provision because that was clearly unconstitutional after Bruin. But then what they also did is in an attempt to remove the discretionary part of licensing, they took suitability and they put being unsuitable into the language surrounding a prohibited person. So now if you're a convicted felon, you're convicted of a domestic uh, violence offense, you've been committed, you've got a restraining order, there's a warrant for you, or you're unsuitable, you're prohibited from getting a license to carry. Mm. It was 
playing trickery with the language to try to insulate themselves from a future challenge on the um, discretionary functioning of the licensing authority and saying, well, it's not really discretionary. It's statutorily prohibited. Um, Definitely have seen quite an uptick in uh, suitability decisions. And what I'm also seeing is in the district courts, um, what I describe the clients is almost like a, 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 a reaction to Bruin where the district courts are uh, upholding chiefs routinely. And on top of that kind of sua sponte, which is like on their own writing about how Bruin doesn't apply to suitability. Um, And I've seen that in a couple of my own cases where I didn't argue Bruin. I didn't raise constitutionality. I simply raised the facts and, and, you know, challenging the factual basis and the judges on their own have put into the decision their analysis of Bruin that they're basically recycling from what the AG had said right after Bruin. Wow. Um, that's where we're at right now. We've really seen little to no progress on scaling back some of the discretionary decisions that chiefs are making. Wow. That's yeah. surprising to me. In fact, I thought, I thought that chiefs would, would just say, well, the decision's been made for me. I don't have to make that decision anymore. And, and uh, I'm glad that's off my plate, but I guess there's always been those chiefs that want to prohibit and want to infringe upon people's right to keep and bear arms. And therefore they're, they still have a way to do it. Sounds like. (laughs) I mean, fairly to to my dad is skewed, right? You don't call me if you had no problem getting the license. You call me when you had a charge 30 years ago that the chief is now raising to keep you from getting the license. Right. Right. So, I only see it through one lens, but what I'm seeing is, and it actually doesn't surprise me, if you think of it kind of broad, like macro political, you've got the Supreme Court pulling things this way, and then you've got Massachusetts trying to pull that way in reaction to that movement, right? right. Um, and that's what I'm seeing, and, and it's it's tough. It's, it's hard conversations with clients often, too. Right, right. Well, one thing that's interesting about it is, you know, the um, like you just said, they're they're pulling one way, but Massachusetts at least didn't like. I'm thinking of the little wins here. It didn't go the full New York, New Jersey route and rewrite the whole law and cram it through in a way that makes it ten times more prohibitive for everybody. Um, you, you know what you forgot to say at the end of that sentence? Yet you got it. <laughs> so you've heard about the tour, right? Oh yes, I have. So I, you know, from little birdies are telling me that they kind of have something up their sleeve. They have mm-hmm. something in mind. And I think it's going to definitely address ghost guns. Um, I know I'm on the radio. No one can see my finger quotes that Some I'm doing do. on the, <laughs> on the video, but you know, ghost guns, 80%. I mean, it has been a um, mission statement of the attorney general prior attorney generals to, regulate gun parts like they regulate working firearms. Right. Um, Which they and, have no jurisdiction over. Right, but if law. they change the statute, right. they will. Right. Um, and, and I see that coming down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether they, uh, you know, I think they've tinkered with suitability enough to the point where it's, you know, been very difficult to deal with. Um, but, 
Um, I also see, you know, the possibility of what Rhode Island did, um, which is completely ban large capacity magazines pre and post ban, mm. um, which has so far been upheld by by you know, the federal court, and it's at the First Circuit now. So, um, you know, I, I I have just again, you know, I worked in the legislature, but it was a long time ago. I still have certain conversations and I do think that there are certainly a, there's an appetite uh, to do certain things, yeah. you know, and, and one more point, I mean, and I, and I, and I noticed this the other day, um, the way there are kind of like signals that things are going to happen. Keep an eye on your media, right? Your mass media, your Boston Globe, your, mm-hmm. where they start to, when they're talking about things like ghost guns and, you know, mental health and guns and this and that, that's kind of a signal that it's giving cover for the legislature to do stuff. Mm. So we're here with Jason Guida on Rapid Fire Radio. If you want to, if you have a question for Jason, you can give us a call at 508-444-2120 and ask away. It's your, it's the the free legal minute uh, you're going to get right. <laughs> with, with Jason on the air. And uh, so, um, yeah, so the, the listening tour that you're you were just talking about um, is something I'm hoping uh, to to get to one of the the tours. I know there's one coming up in Greenfield, which is mm-hmm. about the furthest part of the state from me. It's but, from from you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might be better off buying a plane ticket to go of there, course. but but um, yeah. anyway, I'm gonna I I might try to make that one. And um, anyway, the. But what I've heard, the feedback I've heard from the listening tour is it's not much listening happening. It's more talking. Right. 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 Yeah. It's a panel of people just talking and telling everyone what's basically coming down. Telling the what's what. Right. right? Yeah. We know better than you. Correct. Yes. Yep. Um, I know. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting that uh, and it's no surprise that the federal courts are upholding these um new laws that have been passed, like the one in Rhode Island you just mentioned, and uh, they're <coughs> upholding this suitability, discretionary licensing. Um, but I think as that works its way up, I mean, the, the fact that the First Circuit Court of Appeals saw the FPC case and remanded it back to district court and cited Bruin for the <coughs> reason is is a little bit of a glimmer of hope for me, but... Why don't you talk about that? Because uh, you're involved with the FPC case a little bit. Um, is why don't you give everyone an update about what that really means and what it looks like and what does the future look like as far as uh, that case? <clears throat> Happy to let me clear my throat. Yeah, sure, go for it. Um, while he's clearing his throat, um, we Sorry also no no problem. We also got a question from Jake, and he says <laughs> if somebody in Mass bought a brand new neutered Colt AR-15 from a dealer in 2015, not knowing it was banned under the mass assault weapons ban, should they keep it or get rid of it or how to get rid of it? Um, so that, <clears throat> all right, let's start with FPC yeah. and then we're okay. going to circle back to the okay. assault weapons ban if we can. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so I think the decision of the first circuit to remand the, the FPC, FPC challenge, those of you who don't know, it's, uh, seeking to, it's a constitutional challenge to the Attorney General's consumer protection handgun regu- regulations, which <clears throat> limit access of regular consumers to commonly 
use commonly owned handguns uh, that are used for self-defense. Your, you know, your Glocks, for example, um, based on features of those weapons, which the attorney general has deemed to be unsafe. So, for example, in the Glock, they say it doesn't have a <clears throat> proper load chamber indicator. Right. Um, and that now prevents uh, our good, uh, you know, uh, firearm retailers like our friends at Cape Gunworks from being able to sell such items, right? So um, not really a surprise that the First Circuit remanded it because the initial decisions in the district courts were based on um, the old kind of First Amendment analysis of strict scrutiny, intermediate scrutiny, rational basis. Mm -hmm. And so now, since the Bruin decision basically said, look, all you courts that have been using that First Amendment analysis, you got it way wrong. Mm -hmm. It's all about historical analysis and how history has looked at these types of regulations and how it, you know, what is okay to deny the exercise of the right and what isn't. So it's, it's good. Certainly I'm not, I don't want to understate. It's good that, you know, it's back to another bite at the apple. And I also think that it has, and I know this is surprising to say, I, I think it has a, you know, a puncher's chance in the district court to make an argument that look, you know, historically, you know, there hasn't been this type of regulation on these type of weapons. Mm, right. Right. Um, I suspect the government is really going to focus on its power to keep unsafe things from people such as, you know, lawnmowers that have blades that goes flying off and, you know, cars that gas tanks blow up and they're all going to put that all together and say, this is the same thing. And historically we've regulated that stuff. Yeah. Whether that flies or not, you know, I, I think it's, look, I think it's a fighting chance. Um, so anybody who's watching this, you know, most of the time, Toby, when you talk to me, I'm like, yeah, well, good (laughs) luck. Maybe it'll get to the Supreme court this time, Mm. you know? Well, in either case, I, I suspect I don't know if my suspicions are correct or not, but I suspect that whoever is, prevails in the district court will appeal it. And sure. whoever, you know, it gets to the first circuit, whoever prevails at the first circuit will appeal it. We'll try. It we'll try mean yeah. that the Supreme Court will grant cert, right? Right. Um, so if they don't grant it cert, then the, the first circuit ruling will, will apply, right? If it does, it will. Get and, that, and what they're usually looking for is a split, right? So you get the first circuit that says it's okay to uh, ban Glocks. And then, you know, you've got another circuit somewhere that says, no, it's not okay. They're looking for that split to like remedy that disparate yeah. decisions, right? Yeah. Um, unless they feel like it's a, it's a, it, it's an issue that they want to address. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, that's optimistic that you feel like we have a, a yeah, snowball I'm pretty chance. negative, Toby. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, uh, so that's good. Um, so, you know, that's that's a good update on that case. Uh, before we get to the assault weapons ban, um, and by the way, we're here with Jason Guida. If you want to call or text a question or jump on the chat, it's 508-444-2120. Um, so we have uh, another question, Kevin just asked, what is the waiting time after you send your paperwork? But actually, I don't know if that's 
maybe you could comment on that. Like you said, they call me too late when you know they've applied, and we were talking off the air about that. So some of what your practice is is helping people that have these long delays in licensing, and and there's Mm -hmm. a certain ticking you know time bomb waiting to go off if you don't hear in a certain amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yep. so yeah, no, and and definitely, I'm, I'm not ignoring the assault weapons ban. Question, no, 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 but no, we'll come back. Um, the licensing issues. So, by statute, a licensing authority has 40 days to process your application from start to finish. Um, you know, licensing authorities like to p- try to play with it and say, "Well, that 40 days only counts from the time that we actually fingerprint and photograph you." And I've actually litigated these cases, so I've had situations where departments have been so backlogged or so inept that we've actually gone to court and litigated. And that's some of the the arguments that the lawyers make. Well, it doesn't really count from the time they mail it to us. It counts from the time we actually fingerprint them, which is laughable because you can say to the judge, judge, so basically they're saying that that 40-day window is irrelevant because they can wait three years to get you in the fingerprint. So it really doesn't fly. you know, that 40 days is a real 40 days. And these police departments are aware of it and they're wary. Um, and, but many of them are getting away with murder right now. Most of the time it's because applicants are afraid to, you know, I, don't, I almost use profanity, afraid to, you know, irritate the, their police chief or they're afraid. I mean, they're afraid. There's a lot right. of fear here. Yeah. Um, but, Once that 40 days passes on day 41, the statute gives you a 90-day window to seek judicial review of the failure of the police department to process the license. Mm. It's something that I've kind of, you know, built into litigation, which I call constructive denial, Mm -hmm. which is similar to what they call constructive approval in uh, zoning cases, where if a zoning board doesn't act in a certain time, you automatically are approved. Here, you're automatically denied, um, and you have a right to appeal that denial, right? The problem is is that many people wait six months, and they're like, oh, I haven't heard anything. They're not doing anything. Um, and after six months, there's nothing we can do. All you can do is just beg and wait. Yeah. Um, now, how come it doesn't work the other way? Like, it should be constructive approval. If day 41, if you haven't heard back, you should be issued a license right there on the spot. Right. I mean, so... Yeah, because the statute didn't build it that way and because there's no way Massachusetts would ever do that. Um, now, let's be fair, Toby. I mean, there really is no practical way to process that license in 40 days because there's so many agencies in play, right? right? Typical processing time is going to be about 60 days. That's that's a reasonable expectation, okay, mm-hmm. between the state police, the Department of Mental Health, the Firearms Records Bureau, and your police department – to all do their jobs. It's just it and the and the United States Postal Service, right? So it's not unreasonable for 60 days, okay? Now remember renewals. If you renew prior to your expiration, your current license remains valid until you get that license. So if it takes them 3 years right. to process your renewal, your old license remains valid for 3 years. Right. Right. But it's these new applications that are really problematic. And, I mean, there's one particular police department. uh, I won't name them, but it rhymes with Attleboro, um, which (laughs) literally puts on their website six to eight months. Oh, my God. Just says, you know what? 
we're going to flagrantly say, screw you. We don't care. Do something about it. Wow. Yeah. See, that comes back to me like there was a constitutional, uh, I mean, a Supreme Court ruling on government officials who willingly deny your civil rights. If they willfully deny your civil rights, they lose all um, immunity and can be sued personally for denial of civil rights. Why mm-hmm. Why aren't those guys held so, to that standard? Someone I'll needs tell to... You. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, Comtue, myself, an attorney out in New York named David Jensen, uh, we got together and we sued multiple police departments, including the city of Boston. Um, and what we learned is that it is very, very hard to enforce because it becomes whack-a-mole, right? Mm-hmm. Toby Leary is a Boston resident, and he applies for his LTC. He's been waiting for six months. We file a federal lawsuit. What do they do? They Issue pluck the Toby Leary's application out, fast-track it. He's got it in two days before we can even file. So all we were doing is amending the complaint, amending the complaint, amending. They just kept playing games with us mm. until we got to the point where finally we got into a settlement agreement most of the other departments fixed their problems. Like one department, like their officer was out on extended leave for six months and wasn't just nobody was doing it. So we got a bunch of departments to fix it. And then the city of Boston ultimately entered into a settlement agreement where they, you know, front loaded their licensing department and got through their backlogs and agreed to time standards. We, and we got a financial settlement out of it. Mm. However, now we're about a year and a half from that case delays in Boston four to six months now. Okay. We're it's whack-a-mole. Yeah. Um, and they're really and they don't care. The departments just don't care. You get a new chief, a new licensing officer, there's no institutional knowledge, and they don't consider licensing important. Now, well, I'm, I'm gonna push back on the people that are listening, the people that are calling me. You have elected officials. You have, you know, look, maybe your state rep isn't gun friendly, but your state rep understands that you know, you have a right to get the license and the police aren't doing the job. Your board of selectmen that hire that chief need to know that the chief's not doing his job. Mm. You know? Yeah. yeah. No, you're 100% right. I just wish there was a way. I mean, let's put it this way. If if you take any other constitutional amendment and you apply a five to eight month wait time in your ability to exercise it. No. You'd be, you'd have the ACLU with their big gun power lawyers beating down the courtroom doors to file lawsuits, right? Mm-hmm. If if it was for a First Amendment case or a, you know, any other case, but because it's guns, people look the other way and turn a blind eye to it and say, "Oh, well, it's reasonable to expect that you need to wait eight months in order to exercise your right to keep and bear arms because mm-hmm. you need to, you know, go through the ringer." But um, I, how, what would it take for someone to actually, maybe, I understand the whole premise of standing. You have to be, like, denied something in order to, to actually, or show that you're harmed. But the fact that they're putting that on their website also shows intent of them mm-hmm. to being willing to deny you your constitutionally protected rights. And there's no uh, teeth. Like, if we violate a statute where we technically can be fined or 
suspended or something like that. When the mm-hmm. when the government violates the law that they're sworn to uphold and in, in the statute by not responding within a certain amount of time or whatever, there's nothing there. They just go, eh, it's the process. You know, but why isn't there some sort of oversight or accountability or where would the, where would someone even go for that? Right. And, and so big problem, right? Because one of the defenses in a federal lawsuit that the, the police departments raises, well, there's a state remedy. And what is that state remedy? What I described, you have 90 days from day 40 to seek judicial review, but guess what? You're not getting damages. You're paying me to litigate it but you're not getting any money back, right? It's not really a remedy. It's a fake remedy, right? right? Most people who are listening to the show can't afford that. They'd rather just wait, right? Um, what is it going to take? I mean, it it would take, you know, a significant um, change in the law. I mean, it, it would, and, and I, I don't foresee it um, in the very near future. Um, you know what else it would take? It would take, again, it takes constant vigilance by those who are seeking, you know, who care about this issue to keep their local, it is really their local, their board of selectmen apprised of what their local police chiefs are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, again, that example, you know, right on the website, it's not like they don't know. They know what they're doing. Right. But why is the chief, the chief works for somebody. Somebody signs his contract. Right. That's you know, nobody's getting it to the people who make those decisions and tell the chief, no, this is not okay. Yeah. You know, know, I I just think that um, there needs to be like a landmark Heller type decision that could somehow smack these people down into saying, no, you know, you have to, I think the whole licensing scheme in the first place is unconstitutional, but maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But (laughs) all right, we got to go to a break. We're here with Jason Guida. If you want to talk to him, get on the line. It's 508-444-2120 and, uh, or shoot us a text or jump on the chat and ask your question. We're going to get back to that assault weapons question right after the break. And uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Rep. The firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly 2A talk show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And we are here with Jason Guida. So if you have any Massachusetts law questions as they pertain to the Second Amendment, get on the line, give us a call. It's 508-444-2120. And as promised, 
Uh, let's get to Jake's question from the chat um, regarding Massachusetts assault weapons ban. So if somebody bought a brand new neutered Colt AR-15 from a dealer in 2015, and for those who are listening out of state who don't know what it means to neuter an AR-15, which means all the quote-unquote evil features have been removed. So it doesn't have a flash hider, it doesn't have a threaded barrel, it doesn't have a collapsible stock or a bayonet lug and so it's it was massified for sale in 2015 and uh now they they didn't know it was banned under the assault weapons ban which is funny because in 2015 it wasn't but all of a sudden 7 2016 came along and uh so should they keep it get rid of it and if so how can they get rid of it sure all right so and you're saying it's a Colt, correct? Yep, it was a Colt AR-15 from a dealer in 2015. Okay, so you have the assault weapons ban and you have the enforcement notice, right? right? So quickly, the assault weapons ban, September 13th, 1994, the federal federal ban was passed. We, Massachusetts, incorporated it into our law. So it never sunsetted in Mass. It's always existed. So that ban has two sets of uh, banned weapons, right? The first is the enumerated list. The enumerated list lists specific weapons which are unlawful to possess in Massachusetts, such as a Colt AR-15. You then have the second piece, which is what we call the evil features, right? The evil features are, in the case of a rifle, if it's semi-automatic, capable of accepting a detachable magazine and has two of the five evil features, right? The bayonet lug, threaded barrel, folded stock, grenade launcher, and pistol grip. Two of those, it's unlawful to possess, right? Um, Unless it was lawfully possessed prior to September 13th, 1994. So I'm assuming this Colt AR-15, when he purchased it, even though it's been neutered, meaning they removed the evil features, it was hopefully pre-September 13th, 1994, because a cult is in the enumerated list. Well, let me ask this. You're saying federally throughout the country from September 13th, 1994 to 2004, there were no cults sold? I'm saying that they were listed in the assault weapons ban. I can't tell you whether or not they were sold or not. Well, I think they were sold, but they were neutered for sale. So they didn't have the, uh, you know, all the evil features. But you bring up a good point because it's something I don't honestly know the answer to the question. Maybe G-Webs or someone on the chat could could tell me if Colt manufactured a AR-15 that was neutered for sale during that assault weapons ban or if all Colts during that 10-year stretch were actually only law enforcement guns. Because uh, I honestly don't know the answer to that. I know like Bushmaster and... Uh, DPMS and a whole bunch of other AR-15 companies made an, a neutered AR-15, mm-hmm. which was, you know, they didn't have a flash hider at all, and they had a fixed stock and no bayonet. And those are the evil features. Right, right. right. Yeah, and that's when we talk about with neutered. So then the yeah. question becomes, what about that enumerated list? Right. Because that enumerated list is problematic, too. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can point to the enumerated list and say if it's if it's the exact model or make and model that is listed in this, it is unlawful to possess in Massachusetts. Yeah. You know, you know, we can debate it and we can say, well, it was, you know, neutered and this and that, but it's in, if the language is in the statute, 
Right. Um, so, so then let, let's, yeah, I want to talk about, yeah, so ahead. I think he's probably getting to the enforcement notice, right? Yeah. And he said in the chat that it was brand new. It wasn't pre-94. So the enforcement notice is the attorney general's interpretation of the language in the statute that says any copy or duplicate. So any copy or duplicate of the weapons that are listed in the enumerated list, that first part of the assault weapons ban, the attorney general has deemed to be unlawful. And what she is saying in her in her enforcement notice is, look, we believe that copy or duplicate means this. It means any weapon that has either interchangeable parts or the same operating system as a weapon that's in that enumerated list, the listed weapons, the Colt AR-15, the AK. If it's in there, a Tech 9, if it's in that list and it has, and this weapon can change parts with it or it has the same operating system as a weapon in that list, it's unlawful to own. Okay? Mm. And what she has said is, we will prosecute you and make that argument in court. Okay? If you want to fight us, if you think you're right, do it. We'll go to court and make this argument. Now, what I advise my clients is, in Massachusetts, I could see it being a compelling argument to a judge. Mm -hmm. And that's trouble. That's problematic, right? So, this weapon is pre-Attorney General enforcement notice. The Attorney General in the enforcement notice says, look, we recognize that there's been a practice in Massachusetts of ignoring the copy or duplicate language. And this language that we're saying has never been presented before. So we're going to say anything that was lawfully possessed prior to this enactment date of my enforcement notice, we're going to ignore, basically, is what they say. Um, but again, I'd be concerned if it's in the enumerated list. I, I just, if you're my client and I advise extremely conservatively, right, because I've worked in the, you know, the inner sanctum, if you will. I've been in those buildings. I met with the attorney general's office when I worked for the state, when I was the director of the firearms directors bureau. I know that the goal is to find creative ways to use the statute to, to, you know, disarm, mm -hmm. right? That is the goal. That's the stated goal, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I would caution, and I always, you know, I think you're better off you know, talking to me on the phone for a small fee rather than paying me to represent you and stand next to you on a, you know, an arraignment and a not guilty plea, right? Um, so I always advise conservatively. There are a lot of people that talk to me that say, look, I appreciate your advice. I'm going to do it. I'm going to ignore the enforcement notice. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's fine. And you have a right to do that. Yeah. So the, the interesting thing to me is, uh, she redefined, in my opinion, what the entire country did for 10 years. Uh, no other attorney generals of any state during that 10-year period, including the federal government, saw it the way she saw it. And we had 20 years, I mean, 10 years of what a lot of people love to say, settled law as precedent of how things were conducted. And then Massachusetts carried on that same tradition for another almost 10 years before 
before she, yeah, more than 10 years before she woke up and said, um, no, you're doing it all wrong. You, you, you mm-hmm. do it. You, you're supposed to do it like this. And so, you know, I understand the, the compelling argument in our Massachusetts court system, but something like this, in my opinion, should be brought all the way to the Supreme Court for, especially on, in light of the Bruin, but um, Bruin decision. Well, but so what we're seeing on, on assault weapons challenges and, and large capacity magazine challenges on a Bruin is we're getting a mixed bag, right? Um, you know, I'd be wary of it in the first circuit and we're following that case out of Rhode Island that's going to the first circuit where Rhode Island has banned large capacity magazines completely. And the district court in Rhode Island held that magazines are not covered under the constitution. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, look, I, I, even when I talk to people who are, you know, you would say not second amendment friendly, they even agree about the unfairness of what happened here. But again, remember what I said earlier, I've sat in these meetings. The goal is to creatively interpret these statutes in an, in an effort to disarm, right? The AR is a, is an enemy to the, of the state. Okay. And any way that you can use the language of the laws that are on the books now without the Herculean effort of amending them in order to eliminate the AR is, is a plus plus on, on their end. And that's how they do it. Right. And so, yeah, that language copies or duplicates has always been there. It was, it's not new. And what they know, what the government knows is that the legislature, the way that the courts interpret statutes, the legislature, when they use words, those words are meaningful. That's what our case law says. So they're saying you can't court, you can't ignore this language. And we believe that this language means this because what else would the legislature have meant? Right. Uh, and one of our listeners did uh, just chime in and say that Colt did make an AR-15 without the evil features during that 10-year period. So, oh, so Colt yeah. even it, it even made them. Um, and I think if you read the federal guidelines about it, uh, there was a especially the the recommendation to allow the law to sunset was that they they used that it was basic basically features based. It wasn't necessarily brand, even though it's lissom because they were the, you know what I mean? But they were saying basically the features and features test is what they were coming at. Um, it wasn't really a uh, brand specific. Like I know AK-47s were mentioned. There's no one brand of AK-47, but uh, there was tons of them made, you know, with thumbhole stocks and, and uh, you know, no muzzle device and stuff like that and 10-round mags during that 10-year period. And uh, no other AG or any um, district attorneys or whatever decided to prosecute someone who was selling them because it was known to be a features thing. But anyway, um, the only prosecutions that I've been involved in um, on both sides, both from, you know, my time with the state and my time as a defense attorney has been features, has been the evil features. So most of my cases that fall in the assault weapons ban stuff is um, generally, quite frankly, it's people that come from out of state. Mm-hmm. Um, it's guys that move here from New Hampshire and don't know. Right. Or it's guys that build stuff and probably know, but choose not to know. Right. Um, those are my cases, generally. Yes. And then large capacity magazines. 
charts. Um, I get more charges on large cap mags across my desk than any in almost anything else other than improper storage. And that is because when the police see a large capacity magazine, they presume illegality mm. and they charge. Wow. Um, regardless of manufacturing, they don't know the man. They don't even bother most right. of the time. Um, I routinely get these cases dismissed because they have no idea what the manufacturing date is, right? Yeah. Um, but you're right. When you, you say, look, I say, look, and the statute says this is an enumerated list. You can't have these weapons. But I've, quite frankly, never seen it charged that way. I only see the evil features charged. Right. Now, getting back to the magazines, I found it interesting that um, they – don't have they say there's no constitutional protection of magazines uh which is i find hysterical because try to use a gun without one um you you might get one shot off one at a time yeah right uh but um you know i'd love to see that challenged at a higher level of court but anyway regardless um the magazine situation is also confusing in this state because people Forever, we're given a Class A license to carry for high-capacity magazine possession, you know? So I don't even know how many times as a gun dealer I've stood across the counter trying to convince people that that doesn't mean that they can buy a new high-capacity mag. And they're showing me on the back of their license, look, it's legal for large-capacity magazines. And I go, I know, but you have to have the mag prior to 94. Nope, I I was issued the license for large-capacity. It's a Class A license to carry. And I'm like, oh, man, I know. So when there's that much ambiguity in the law, the deference is supposed to go to the plaintiff, correct? I mean, to the defendant, right? So these laws largely have been challenged for their ambiguity and that challenges have been found wanting most of the time. When you look at the statute, it, it's it's hard to say it's ambiguous when you look at 131M of Chapter 140. It says, unless lawfully possessed prior to September 13th, 1994. And so it's pretty clear that there's a date and either it's pre or post that date. Pre, you're good. Post, you're not. And yeah, the, the, the license says you can possess large capacity things, items. But that's because they, at one point in time, quite frankly, there was the LTCA and the B and the FID in 98. They differentiated the A and the B between large capacity handguns and non-large capacity handguns, meaning capable of accepting a large capacity magazine, mm-hmm. right? So most of the stuff that's going to fall under a B are going to be revolvers, right? Um, and they, for whatever, the th- I, honestly, in 1998, I mean, I, I have no idea what the thought process was, but I, I'm thinking the thought process was, well, you know, maybe we'll give per- people that we feel are less trustworthy access to less lethal guns, I guess, because they can only shoot six times rather than 10. I don't know. Crazy. <laughs> I think that was a thought process though. Unbelievable. Uh, have you heard of the, uh, and I don't mean to put you on the spot if you haven't heard of it, it's no big deal, but have you heard of the uh, Commonwealth versus Carlos Gardado case that just, the case that just came out two day or three yeah. days ago yeah. where the government now has to prove yeah. as an element of yeah. the offense that the person was unlicensed long time coming. Yeah. And this is, it's a really good example of how our courts 
twist themselves in a pretzel to go the other way most of the time. Mm. And faced with, you know, a constitutional challenge here where I, what I suspect is the SJC recognize that this is something that the Supreme Court may address mm-hmm. rather than doing what they did with tasers, right? Right. And getting their, getting their you know, teeth kicked in by the, the Supreme Court. They just took care of it at this level. Right. Um, you know, finally, and, you know, I'll tell you from, you know, serving as the director of the Firearms Records Bureau and being the keeper of those records, there's flaws in those records. Oh, yeah. And there are many people out there who may have held a license at one point in time, and maybe that license expired, which is a civil infraction, not a crime. And the records that the police are using to prosecute them don't show that they have that expired license. Mm. So this now kind of opens up, I wouldn't say a huge, huge hole, but it's certainly going to help some people. Well, it's And by the way, it's an acknowledgement that there is a Second Amendment by the SJC, which is... You know, a first in this state. Yeah, it's, it's worthy of throwing a party, you know, at the shop tonight. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I read all seventy pages of the of the decision, and it was fascinating reading. Um, and it it doesn't quite go as far as saying that the licensing scheme is unconstitutional, but it's basically saying it's the government's. It's burden. on the government's burden to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the guy is not licensed. So now yes. you got to get that, that keeper of records into the court. You got to, you know, swear them in and, you know, mm-hmm. hear the testimony of every, every box that they checked, every T that they crossed. And, you know, mm-hmm. did he ever apply? Did you find him in the database? You know, they, so it comes all the way back to what is the amendment where you have a right to, uh, you know, confront your accuser, basically. Right. Yeah, so it was a fascinating read. And interestingly enough, the guy, all the charges were, he was found not guilty on all the charges except the high-capacity magazine possession. Right, right. Again, because they say it's not constitutionally protected. Right, I, right. But yeah. I don't see how yeah. it isn't. <laughs> yeah, it's going to, this is going to be interesting. So the next, what the state in response is going to do is what we did you know, we've been, you know, when I worked there and they've been doing all along is they just do an affidavit and say that the keeper of records and they're just going to, you know, try to offer them in as business records. And that's going to be the next fight for defense attorneys is to say, no, these aren't business records. Um, you know, and whether the courts say they are, because, you know, right now, you know, records from the office of alcohol testing that, you know, that show that you, you know, blew a 0.20 on a, on a breathalyzer, come in as business records. Um, you know, arguably these might come in too. I, I don't know. You know, that's going to be the next fight for in the courts is whether you're right. Cause I'll tell you if that happens, you know, the firearms records bureau that maintains this, I don't know if they have six people working there right now. Yeah. And how you are know? they ever going to be, they'll be staffed 24, mm-hmm. you know, tw- yeah. 29 out of 30 days of the month at court mm-hmm. courtrooms trying to, you know, give testimony. Which sure. I think is good. I think the government should have to prove like that, you know. Whenever mm-hmm. uh, I think, frankly, at the at the on the face value, um, and I wish the Supreme Court didn't stop short of this with the Bruin decision, but um, I think these licensing schemes are all unconstitutional. If you apply the same standard to any other constitutionally protected right, 
it doesn't hold up for a second. If mm-hmm. I if I said, Jason, I want to uh, give a speech at the college next week, and you know, uh, what do I got to do? Well, first thing you got to do is go down and take a class. You got to take a four hour class, pay a couple hundred bucks, and uh, we'll tell you what you can and can't say at this said you know class, and we'll give you a certificate when you're done. Then you can go over to the licensing office. You can pay another hundred bucks, get fingerprinted, photographed, background checked, and uh, you know we'll issue you a permit within. If you're in Attleboro or whatever you said, uh, whatever town that was, you'll get it in six to eight months. And uh, and then when you get it back, you can go speak at the college. But you can only do that for five years, and then you got to renew. And if you don't renew before it expires, you're going to have to repeat the process or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you do that for the First Amendment, it, it, it it's out on the first breath. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, there's some time, place, and manner restrictions right like if you want to protest something and you want to organize you have to get the permit to do it but they can't you know if you want to do it in two weeks they can't say yeah you didn't give us enough time and this and that they can't play games with it and that's certainly what they do with licensing but again and and looking back at the case that we argued against the city of boston you know again it was a mixed bag when you looked at case law around the country about whether delays and things like that were of constitutional issue. And now this is pre-Bruin, mind you. Um, but you also got to remember Heller, the you know, prior to Bruin, Heller said that their decision did not invalidate licensing schemes. Bruin, for the first time, started questioning whether these discretionary licensing schemes are constitutional, right? You know, reading the tea leaves, licensing may end up being okay so long as they're based on, you know, rational, um, you know, objective standards, such as are you a convicted felon, you know, who has committed a violent crime in the last five years or something like that, that may end up being upheld. But I think you're, you know, when you're looking at this, like, well, if you live in one town, you can get the license. But if you live in another town, the chief isn't going to give it to you. That's a problem. Right. Well, I, I just can't see in the original text history or tradition where licensing played a part. You know what I mean? And I think ghost gun stuff has a problem there, too, because every gun in the, you know, when they ratified the Constitution was a ghost gun. None of them had serial numbers. All of them, a lot of them were homemade guns a lot of them were you know made by the local dude up the street who then sold it to the everybody in the town square you know it was i mean i i I see serious problems but uh, you know obviously the supreme court's gonna have to take the take the case but we got another question here if a state doesn't recognize your state's uh concealed carry license and they won't issue a non-resident carry permit what is the best way to fight that situation um I'm not, so I'm assuming this person lives in another state and so they can't bring their gun here because they don't have an LTC here. And if they're being denied, are they being denied or delayed? I'm not really sure. I don't know. It doesn't say, uh, maybe they, you know, the question clarify. is why are they being denied, right? right. If they're being denied, uh, you know, as being deemed to be an unsuitable person, well, they have 90 days to seek judicial review of that decision. Um, you know, typically you end up in the Chelsea District Court with that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, I will tell you that again, suitability is a very difficult uh, position to be in and being deemed unsuitable because it is your burden to prove that the chief has acted what they call arbitrarily and capriciously, Mm -hmm. which means he has no rational basis to say no. The judges are instructed by our case law to uphold the police chiefs. They're not allowed to second guess them. So you have a very, very hard, high hill to climb to show that the chief has no reason whatsoever. So in this particular case, I don't know why he's being told no, but, you know, people, you know, people that come across my desk and they've got a history of restraining orders or charges of domestic violence or violent crimes or, you know, violations of the gun laws, you know, stuff like improper storage or Mm -hmm. discharge of a firearm, all of those things, you know, instruct the chief, at least in their mind, that this person who's applying is not a responsible person and we're not going to give them the license. And the judge generally is not going to second guess that. Um, You know, it is a very, example, domestic violence. You have a he said, she said. You have to prove what she said is a lie. Right. Well, hard to do. Yeah. However, wasn't the Bruin case very specific that if they're not a federally prohibited person then they should be given a license not to that level so what broom was really addressing the core of the case was whether or not you had to give a reason why you wanted to carry so that's what new york and massachusetts did is said look in addition to being eligible for the license you also had to tell us why you want it Mm -hmm. and if we don't like your reason for why you want it then we can say no so that's what Bruin was addressing. And in the footnotes, it start, it kind of mentions discretionary licensing, but it doesn't invalidate it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as I said at the beginning, Massachusetts basically doubled down and said, well, discretion is actually prohibited person. So if you're unsuitable, you're prohibited. And so that's how they're trying to get around this discretionary piece. They're saying it's not really discretionary because you're unsuitable because there's evidence that you there's reliable and credible information that you engage in some sort of conduct, which may pose a risk to public safety. That means you're prohibited. Mm. I'm going to ask a variation of this question. We got about two minutes left. So I don't know if it's a quick answer you can give us or not, but we'll definitely have to do this again. But so if somebody uh, came to Massachusetts and they're not licensed and they're not at a, you know, sanctioned event, uh, shooting event. uh, So they're, I guess, technically in a legal possession of a firearm in Massachusetts. What, uh, uh, like, I don't understand how there's not like some interstate commerce clause or something like that, that a constitutionally protected right isn't recognized by an, a, another state. So yeah. do you think that has any legs as, as bearing to defend yourself in court or no? No, so, you know, we started the United States, you know, in the 1700s with the idea that there's state rights, right? Like individual states can regulate their citizens. And... Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And and so the answer is, is that, you know, individual states are allowed to regulate the gun laws. The federal government doesn't occupy the field. So, no, unfortunately, um, you know, you're looking at an 18-month minimum mandatory sentence if you make that unfortunate mistake. And I'll also tell you before we go, people that are relying on these exceptions to the rules, you're taking your life in your hands because if you're not 
fully complying with those exceptions, you will be found guilty of the crime. Wow. If somebody finds themselves needing your advice, Jason, how can they find you? Where do they go? Right. Thank you. Um, so uh, my website, www.lawguida.com. Um, and our 24-hour emergency line is 617-383-4652. Um, that's also our office line during business hours. So what was that number? Give it one more time. You got it. 617-383-4652. 4652? All right. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on, Jason. We appreciate you. And we'll Thank see you, you next time. Thanks right, for thanks, Tommy. Yep. Thanks for tuning in here. You can always get more content at rapidfireradio.us. Leave us a message or call the text line 508-444-2120. And keep up the good fight, support your local community, and be an advocate for responsible gun ownership. Together as Americans, we can overcome. Uh, God bless. I'm Toby Leary, and we'll see you next time.